Hello, and welcome to Nerds and Nodes, the Mac AI podcast. My name is Gal, and I will be your host. This show is for those of you who are interested in learning all about artificial intelligence and its countless applications in the fields of science, business, medicine, engineering, and more. Each podcast will have a different expert come in and cover a variety of topics, including their own experiences and career path, current developments in AI, real-world applications of their work, and even some speculations for the future. If you're interested in hearing advice directly from the experts in AI, then this is the podcast for you. Today's guest is John Weigelt. He's the current National Technology Officer at Microsoft Canada, and he's here today to introduce us to the world of data governance, security, and policy, and most importantly, how we protect ourselves against malicious uses of AI. Hello, welcome, John, to the podcast. Great to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me as well. Um, So let's start off. Can you give me a bit of background about uh, maybe sort of uh, education, what sort of led you into the field that you're in today? Uh, Just sort of all that relevant information so our audience gets to uh, know you a bit better. Sure, and I'll try not to take up the whole time with it because I love to talk about it. But <laughs> you know, uh, I have a bit of a eclectic background. Uh, I started uh, in the military as a security engineer, computer security engineer, uh, oh. and worked with uh, computing systems, uh, uh, medical systems, and tried to figure out how to best deploy these solutions to keep Canada safe. Uh, I moved on to being uh, an information operations officer, defending the uh, the networks, uh, defense networks over the Y2K period. And actually, we had a national role, believe it or not, to make sure that our computers were safe across Canada for Y2K. I left there uh, and went to uh, Treasury Board Secretariat in the government to write some policies and some standards. I actually had the good fortune to write parts of PIPEDA, the Personal Information Protection Electronic Documents Act. Uh, not the uh, the exciting pieces, it was the electronic documents piece, but still got to, a chance to do that. Uh, and then following those uh, 17 years working for the Queen, I thought uh, it would be a good idea to work in private sector. And so I jumped off to uh, work for, for Microsoft uh, and you know had uh, these various experiences along the way. Uh, I'd love to say that it was deliberate, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. in going to my schooling, I knew I loved computers and I knew I loved building things. I, I had the good fortune in high school to actually build an Apple IIe computer from the ground up. Uh, oh, wow. And so... You know, it was it was really, really exciting to come into computer engineering following that. Uh, and I always had this mindset of using technology in the right place at the right time. Uh, and the funny story that goes along with this, I was looking through one of these catalogs back in the day, uh, and it had this drill with uh, a little red LED on top of it. And the mm-hmm. LED would flash faster when you needed more power. Now, today oh. here in Toronto, it's super cold. And you can imagine a poor person up on the roof trying to drill a hole to put uh, something <laughs> onto the roof. They, they don't care about a little red LED. They just want a hole in that particular spot. And so yeah. I took it as my passion to uh, uh, help put computers or technology in the right place in the right way. Wow. Oh, very nice. So, uh, and it's cool to me how, you know, uh, you start off with, you know, an, an engineering degree and... Um, and I think you see that a lot where from there you can sort of jump into so many different fields and applications, right? Like I, I don't know if you imagined yourself getting into, uh, your, you know, policy making, right, from, from the start when all you want to do is just build something to help people out. 
Hundred percent. I, I would have never imagined that uh, I would be called upon to testify in Parliament at the uh, multinational <laughs> committee on privacy and security. Like that is completely outside of my uh, range of imagination. Uh, and I think it speaks to the thought of, of being agile and nimble throughout your career. I think many young people today, as they leave grade twelve, think that they need to have it all sorted out uh, as they leave school. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I really believe that you're able to then take these changes as they come along and say, well, you know what? That was great. I've got this great experience. Now let's try this uh, and Mm -hmm. move forward. Yeah. That's a, it's a great way to think about it. Um, And so I was wondering if you could tell me a bit more about your current role at Microsoft and maybe, you know, what it sort of means to be an ambassador for, um, you know, uh, cybersecurity and, and computer privacy within Canada. Well, and, and I love how you've characterized the role as an ambassador for uh, for the tech uh, tech activities. Yeah. You know, the uh, I, I believe I have the best job in the world as a national technology <laughs> officer for Microsoft here in Canada. I get to work with Canadian organizations from uh, startups, uh, high school students, universities to the largest companies in Canada across all sectors uh, to be able to help uh, provide that vision for advanced technologies. So I've been talking about cloud computing uh, or utility computing uh, for better part of 10 years, but I now get yeah. to talk about the Internet of Things, or I get to talk about augmented reality uh, and even quantum computers. And so, you know, really talking about what's next in the field and how that can help Canadian prosperity. The hmm. second piece that's really, really important for the role is um, working to avoid the unintended consequences. You know, we know that sometimes things go bump in the night and we need to prepare ourselves for that. So I get to work with policymakers, with regulators, with civil society, researchers, uh, try to determine how things could go sideways. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so making sure that we respect privacy, security, making sure that technology is adaptive so that those with special access requirements can continue to use those computers. Uh, And so it's really, really rewarding to be able to do that. And so I was wondering uh, if you could give us just a, a sort of a baseline definition of you know, or an outline of what you look for when you know you strive for uh, you know uh, a privacy privacy uh, you know uh, when you're surfing the internet uh, with uh, with your own data within your own computer so w- what are some things that we really try to look for that you push for every day you know uh, that's a that's a perfect question and and you know how do we best manage our privacy in in an era where uh, people want to leverage your data uh, in order to monetize that. And so we mm-hmm. see that uh, across a number of the social platforms in any case. Uh, and so I think the first thing that's that's critically important is education and awareness. Uh, sometimes we don't take the time to really understand what's happening behind the scenes. You know, what's the product being offered here? Or what's, uh, what's happening? So I, I try to help people be informed around how information might be used or, or what set settings that are there. So I think that's the first piece. I think the yeah. second piece is understanding the security side. So we we in Canada have are known worldwide around making sure that we have uh, pronounced that privacy and security are different, right? They can live together, but mm-hmm. um, you know you can have security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. Uh, and so you need to understand those two different pieces. Uh, and so securing your environments, making sure you have strong passwords, making sure that people can't come in untowards uh, into your multiple devices you know that Mm -hmm. that's critically important as you come through Uh, and know that you have options know that you can opt out of some of those services know that you can you know uh, tailor your location services for example to say look i'm not going to uh, allow you to gain access to my data when i'm not using your application things like that yeah and so 
uh, hopefully this question makes sense, but I was wondering, you know, that sort of uh, interplay between security and privacy, does that, do those exact same things apply as much on a large corporate level as they do on my own personal PC? Or it, do you have to put additional, uh, you know, safeguards in place and stuff like that uh, to to really extend it to the next level when, when you know, you're talking uh, at the level of a corporation or, or a business? You know, businesses uh, around the world um, have gotten a, a huge focus on privacy um, because mm-hmm. of legislative constraints uh, and the visibility of customers, right? Customers are saying, look, privacy is important to me. Uh, and so they've put in place uh, a lot of controls within their own environment. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they have those controls that are certified uh, by third parties to attest to the fact that they have those. Um, okay. they, I, I know that within Microsoft, we've put up um, very... Um, rigid walls between different business groups, for example. Uh, and so if okay. you're working on the consumer side in Xbox, your data is not going to be shared across to LinkedIn, let's say, for example, things I like see. that. And so it's really important that uh, people appreciate that. Uh, with security, you know, I, I think about the investments that Microsoft has made in security, you know, some $20 billion going to uh, be made going forward for inner security practice, over 3,000 security engineers. Uh, and, you know, we have uh, over $8 billion in uh, security R&D, uh, R&D projects. Wow. And so wow. when I think about that investment, right, to to make sure these things are, are secure. Uh, and the other piece is trying to keep up with the evolving threat. This is a cat and mouse game. Uh, and mm-hmm. how do we make sure that uh, we keep ahead of the bad actors out there uh, and yeah. making sure that we stop uh, that uh, ongoing activity? Now, this is something that can't be done alone by industry or government or civil society. Uh, and so we're looking to come together uh, to mm-hmm. really resolve some of these tough problems, to protect our elections, to protect uh, uh, the systems, uh, the critical infrastructures and tools like that. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to touch on, uh, especially later on, you know, how how do we really... How do people out there take advantage of those systems, right? And how do we uh, leverage what we know and the expertise that we have to protect against these attacks? But in the meantime, I, I wanted to focus sure. more on the actual uh, the policy aspect, especially since you've had experience working with that. Just wondering, uh, you know, how how does someone like you going from you know working in the field, being able to form the policies that we see in in our own legislature, how does that actually translate to an impact within, you know, our, our, our own lives? Uh, and, and I guess you did mention that we might have third parties, uh, third parties monitoring or, um, you know, how, how companies leverage their, uh, their services and, and the data they use. But uh, I was wondering if you could expand on that. A bit more. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh it's one of the tools that is used to safeguard Canadians, right? So when I think about mm-hmm. government's mandate and role, it's really there to safe keep people safe uh, and prosperous in the country. Those are those are two of the principal goals. We can we can dive into all the other ones, but fundamentally, it's about uh, making sure that Canada and Canadians are successful. Uh, and so they use policy and law to get there. Now, when we think about policy and law, you know, I reminded of, uh, you know, back in my era was Saturday morning ca- cartoons with that uh, poor Bill on the hill uh, in Capitol <laughs> Hill talking about what happens in the United States. But, uh, you know, these these processes to establish policies and legislation um, have a certain time frame that's required to get them through. Broad consultation, thinking about those things, um, who's the stakeholders, uh, drafting, and then um, some lifespan for it. When we mm-hmm. think about policies and laws, the intent is that they last for 10 to 15 years. 
oh my goodness, if we look back 10 years uh, at the, the technologies we were using then, you know, this was almost pre some of the mobile devices that we're using, uh, augmented mm-hmm. reality, some of the social networks. Uh, yeah. And so it, it's there's a, a discordance um, between the policy framework and the technology framework. Uh, and so what uh, policymakers try to do is make sure that their policies can last a long time. I'll point back to PIPEDA, the Personal Information Protection Electronic Documents Act. You know, mm-hmm. that was put in place over 20 years ago, but it was principles-based. And so it uh, took what was the uh, uh, OECD, the international principles, and it codified them for Canada. Uh, And these these principles lasted for a very long time. It's only recently that uh, there were suggestions that it needed to be revised and improved. Uh, And so those those efforts are underway as we speak today. Uh, And so, you know, we see that happening as uh, we look to advanced technologies and where there's assistance, I think, from industry and other participants and even business owners that are using these tools is to help inform the policymakers around how these tools are being put into business uh, Mm -hmm. and then also try to explore you know, some of the potential unintended consequences. Yeah. I, I'm sure you see quite a delay, you know, whenever something like a, a boom of social media comes out, you have uh, Instagram and Facebook or uh, even messaging services like WhatsApp. And we know there's there's a huge amount of data there. Um, and, and I'm sure policymakers are sort of, whenever this stuff comes out, uh, scrambling to to make sure that your ends are are. Uh, are all covered. You don't leave any sort of loopholes out there for people to take advantage of. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we've been big advocates for uh, within the community, within the industry is to take that proactive approach with government. You know, mm-hmm. certainly uh, having been uh, around for as long as we have been, we've had our own uh, trials and tribulations working with uh, regulators and governments. And we found uh, and learned that the best experience is to work proactively. Uh, and so, for example, the work that we're doing on defending democracy um, to help uh, make sure that our elections are, are free and fair, uh, mm-hmm. it comes from some of those uh, those interactions. Uh, other organizations might not feel the same way, but uh, I think that's a way to uh, to get there. Um, I think the magic in all this is to abstract out the technology. You know, uh, it's no sense putting in uh, rules and regulations for things like fax machines. Uh, we mm-hmm. know that fax machines are still in the marketplace, but they have a much decreased role at the, what they once had. And putting out yeah. policies around fax it really doesn't make sense. Can we abstract it out to uh, be able to uh, address the particular requirements? The, the last piece that's important is let's tease out the particular um, uses or the particular um, uh, companies that uh, we're focused on. Often um, the internet is the subject of, uh, of debate. Well, mm-hmm. I think we all appreciate that the internet is very many things. There's our communications, like our, our, our video conference, our podcast today. Uh, there's gaming, that's part of it. There's social network. There's retailing, that's there. There's content creation. There's, there's a ton of different pieces. And so let's focus on the particular use instead of keeping this abstract area. Uh, and we've seen that also in new fields like artificial intelligence, where uh, it's important that we tease out each part of the artificial intelligence conversation that we want to have. Yeah. So you you definitely just touched on a very big topic, and that is AI, of course, and uh, that is again why we are here. So I was wondering if just just dive us in. How how do you see AI infiltrating your own work, and how does it relate to you know those big topics of cybersecurity, privacy, um, and just uh, all things uh, internet and data? 
100%. And so I, I would put it as AI is complimenting and assisting my work. Uh, infiltrating mm-hmm. sounds so nefarious. <laughs> yes, yes, across. I agree. <laughs> but uh, uh, I really see AI uh, really streamlining um, the work that we do and taking out the mundane work uh, and the mm-hmm. tedious work. Uh, and so yeah. AI can take out the tedium of our jobs, but allow us to be creative. So it can automate those mechanistic things and then help us move that forward. Now, of course, mm-hmm. it's really, really important for us to tease out the different parts of AI. Yeah. In Canada, we have heard repeatedly that Canada is a leader in AI. But what part of AI are we a leader in? Uh, I like to think of AI as a continuum, uh, starting off from the data sets that uh, are reasoned over by our machines. From the data, we have the math. And so we have very, very strong mathematicians in Canada figuring mm-hmm. out how we can reason over data and make sense of it. We have people that build software on top of the math. So they codify the math so that we have tools. Um, There are people that use the APIs to be able to make business uh, decisions. And then there's the business enablement. Throughout that, we also have the learning, the training, the modeling, so all these different pieces. So it's important that we look at that that continuum. Uh, And then we apply some of those safeguards and controls across each piece. So Mm -hmm. for example, data. Let's make sure we secure our data. Let's make sure we um, um, recognize privacy requirements of data, fairness requirements of data. And we can do the same thing in the algorithms and so on throughout that whole continuum. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I know even then, you know, as, uh, as deliberate and meticulous as we might be, there still are these open ends and we know that people do still take advantage of AI and uh, you know, use that to gain very valuable information that can be used uh, maliciously, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely a, a huge risk going forward. I think it's with with any solution and any service that uh, you're delivering to constituents that you mm-hmm. need to take in consideration uh, how it will be used and how it could be misused, right? So this yeah. is the idea of tools and weapons that uh, uh, Brad Smith, uh, Microsoft president, wrote about, that these are great enablers, but we have to look at that uh, potential downside. So this yeah. gets us back to the education, education and awareness. So to mm-hmm. come in and be deliberate and thoughtful about our approach. So that if we put a chatbot out in the marketplace, which is uh, an AI-enabled agent that can have conversational uh, transactions with individuals, then we make sure that uh, it can't be subverted so it becomes a bigoted, foul-mouthed uh, um, agent, right? And mm-hmm. so we need to build in those safeguards and controls. And, and so what exactly are the repercussions if we don't? You know, if we don't put in policies, if we uh, let AI be used as a sort of free-for-all system that can be you know, really taking advantage of what are some of those, the greatest risks to our society, I would put it. Well, I think the first thing is human harm, right? We want to make sure that there's no human harm that comes out. And the human harm comes across a wide wide spectrum. Uh, At Microsoft, we have a number of principles that we adhere to. So fairness, Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that AI is fair across communities. Uh, And so regardless of ethnicity, uh, gender, uh, religious affiliation, background, that the AI is uh, fair across those. We want to make sure it's safe and reliable that, uh, hey, if you're using AI for automated uh, um, transportation, that people remain safe. And so that's another piece. Um, mm-hmm. Privacy and security uh, is always important. Uh, inclusiveness that we're adopting to uh, the entire community. Uh, accountability that there's humans that are accountable or that you have a way to redress when something goes awry. Uh, and then transparency, letting people know what the AI is reasoning over. So I think that's the first piece that we have to be concerned about is, you know, what is that harm to people uh, and make yeah. sure that we use that. Hmm. And 
so yeah you, you you definitely mentioned a lot like especially even uh you know something like uh like you know i, I want to specifically hone in on you know how do people actually take advantage uh right like um i believe like with with self-driving cars for example and like just you know there still is a lot of progress going forward but there's still like uh, and I'm sure the people developing these technologies try to take advantage of them themselves to try and find those those areas where you know uh, others might might try to do so with uh, I guess uh, uh, intentions that aren't so aren't so good. Um, like how how do we confound AI and how do we get things out of it? If you, yeah, if that's you know. a that's a great question, uh, and and I believe that there is a great opportunity for um, people to work in that field. Uh, I call it adversarial AI, uh, but mm -hmm. it's uh, you know how do you make sure that AI systems are resilient under these types of unique situations? Yeah. Um, in the earliest days for the uh, automated vehicles, uh, one of the the uh, most um, widely reported exploit was throwing some stickers up on a stop sign. Uh, so that the huh. AI would no longer recognize the sign as a stop sign. So very crude yeah. attack, but you know that uh, could have very dangerous situations. Uh, and so thinking about those potential ramifications, I think is, is critically important. Uh, I think as well as how do you describe the environment in which the AI finds itself? So one of the uh, examples uh, for the automated vehicles was trying to merge into traffic during mm -hmm. rush hour on a very busy road. Uh, and so any of us that drive know that uh, sometimes you really need to step on the gas uh, and perhaps exceed the speed limit in order to mm -hmm. find that spot. Uh, or yeah. you might have to um, try to nudge your way into traffic without hitting anybody. But you know, where the spot's not big enough, you have to be bold and uh, you know, try to squeeze your way in. Uh, yeah. Some of the AI vehicles wouldn't do that because their rules said mm -hmm. you have to have a space wide enough or you need to follow the speed limit. Uh, and so it's really understanding that context of use uh, and to be able to do that. Um, some of this comes from fuzz testing. So it's simply putting um, what fuzz testing is, is just putting a whole bunch of uh, inputs into the system to see how it lasts or how it makes out. And so creating those types of environments. Um, but uh, I think the people that are looking at how to break down these systems um, often have to think about, and I, and I use this um, in, in the, the positive form, I almost need to have that hacking mindset. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, a lot of times hacking has a, a negative connotation, uh, but mm -hmm. some of the, uh, the, the most successful developers in the world have been hackers because they wanted to understand how things work uh, and yeah. then to make them better. Uh, and so yeah. how do we bring in that hacking mindset to be able to you know, figure out you know, how these things can go awry? Yeah, and, and really, because you need to have a mindset like that, especially with AI, because it's, it's becoming more and more and more um, available and it's being implemented in so many different ways. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, image recognition on uh, checks uh, that you cash in at the bank or uh, yeah, whether it's self-driving cars or even something like uh, um, what is it? Uh, autocomplete for, mm -hmm. you know, and text and text recognition. And uh, there are just so many avenues for, for it to be applied and, with that, so many avenues for it to be taken advantage of. Um, uh, absolutely. One, one of the interesting examples that uh, I came across was uh, in translation. 
Uh, so automated okay. translation software, some going from one language to another uh, or transcription. Uh, and mm -hmm. there was one scenario where it was in an academic setting and they were looking through media and movies uh, mm -hmm. and the automatic translation uh, and transcription process um, was set so that it would not uh, transcribe um, profanities. Uh, and hmm. so uh, people are watching a particular video or movie uh, and it might be filled with expletives uh, and all of a sudden that that word would not come through. Uh, and see. so, you know, here was an unintended consequences of, you know, for most uses, profanities and expletives needed to be removed because you can imagine having a, a Teams call in uh, K to 12 education uh, and all <laughs> of a sudden, you know, kids uh, or something's happening in the background and this comes through. Yeah, uh, but yeah. in the higher ed setting, you know, that was required. Uh, to ne you needed to have that to have, you know, that um, that comprehensive view of whatever material is being shown. So it's mm. interesting to see the both sides and then be able to assess and analyze, you know, what is the accepted outcome. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so specifically, just going back to sort of the aspect of, of privacy, right? Uh, what do you what do you do specifically? Uh, I know we sort of addressed on it, but uh, addressed it, but what do you specifically do to to make sure that that our our privacy is safe? Is it you you go back to the policy level? You you make sure that you have some some people on your team with that hacker mindset. You just tell them you know go try and try and crack my system. Is that is that what you do to to you know protect from from again the, the corporate level down to my own personal PC? Right? Is that what you do? Hundred percent. So uh, policy starts uh, at the top, or privacy starts at the top of the organization. So it comes right mm -hmm. from Satya Nadella, our, our CEO, uh, and that privacy is a fundamental human right uh, that we endorse and, and uh, support throughout our activities, uh, and that gets uh, cascaded throughout our engineering teams, our customer-facing teams. Um, there's yeah. mandatory privacy training across the the organization, so everybody needs to sign off on privacy training uh, throughout. Okay. Uh, through, on an annual basis, uh, and it's on the code of business conduct as well. So this is reinforced repeatedly. Uh, we have privacy champs that uh, work with uh, all our tools to make sure that privacy is built in. Uh, we have privacy-friendly researchers, uh, uh, researchers researching privacy-friendly technologies. Uh, and so we have uh, uh, people that are looking at differential privacy, so ways that we can obfuscate or hide data so that um, those people that aren't authorized to see it We'll never see it because we use some uh, funky mathematical uh, uh, characteristics to protect that data. We huh. make sure that we only collect what data is required for the purpose that's intended uh, and then dispose of that. So least, least uh, um, privilege uh, and limited purpose. Uh, and so these things are very compartmentalized and stovepiped. Uh, and so it, it really comes throughout uh, all the way from policy right through to technology enablement. And we, we also provide these tools to our customers. Uh, and so, for example, you know, we have tooling that helps uh, businesses, uh, small, medium businesses run their enterprise and organization. Uh, and one of those tools helps with marketing outreach. Uh, and so that marketing mm -hmm. outreach tool allows those businesses that use our products to have uh, do not call lists uh, so that they can parse okay. the information and make sure those people that have asked to be left alone are indeed left alone. So we can then empower others to leverage the privacy tools that we provide. Wow. And how would you say this sort of, uh, you know, climate of, of privacy and uh, you're protecting our data within Canada specifically? How do you how do you think that compares to other countries? And uh, or especially, I know in the U.S. there have been so many sort of uh, issues that have come up, very uh, controversial topics regarding uh, you know privacy and all that. So how, how does Canada compare? 
Canada has long been a uh, world leader in privacy, uh, and it started in the early 2000s uh, with um, our privacy legislation, uh, not only federally, but also within the provinces. Uh, and so that has stand, stood us in good stead from having a thought leadership view. Uh, if we recall back to uh, when uh, uh, the Ontario Privacy Commissioner uh, role was held by Ann Kavukian, um, the uh, um, privacy by design uh, philosophy uh, was something that Canada took to the world and has been now uh, ingrained into privacy philosophies. Uh, and so that's been really, really great. Uh, we've seen other nations kind of take the uh, the gauntlet and, and move forward with things. So we hear about the general data protection regulation uh, in the European Union, which has put mm -hmm. in place and codified penalties, uh, greater penalties and, and greater specificity around potential use of tools. Uh, but really, I, I think when you look at that, it's very much aligned to what we had done prior. It, it complements mm -hmm. it. Let's not be... Uh, um, let's not say that they're the same, but you know, uh, it does have a strong basis in what Canada's done. From an individual perspective, I think Canadians uh, have a particular view of privacy and security that mm -hmm. um, um, is a, a meaningful approach and a, and, a, and a flexible approach to these things. Um, it's not the same as other nations. So, for example, if you think about a nation like Estonia uh, mm -hmm. or uh, reunified Germany or uh, Holland, um, they have things that have happened in their history that have given uh, many of the population uh, a very tactile sense of what it means when um, there are organizations that um, don't respect your privacy. And so when you think about Estonia of being overrun and being uh, kind of held captive by another nation, when we think mm -hmm. about uh, uh, East Germany and the Stasi, when we think about uh, the Netherlands and their World War II experience, right, there is this uh, real great sensitivity that, that we don't necessarily have here in Canada. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, I think we've put in place a, a meaningful approach to respect privacy of individuals. Uh, and it's, it's, very interesting to see how culture and history have sort of impacted how we view these very, very modern topics, it seems. And so like, how, how often do you collaborate with these other countries? Is there a sort of a global policy effort going forward or are the policies in these countries so radically, or I guess radically is extreme of word, but are they, you know, sufficiently different to sort of hold you back when it comes to collaboration? That's a that's a great question, and I, and I'm exceptionally uh, grateful and and fortunate to have um, over 48 other national technology officers around the world and other geographies to hear mm. their lived experience within their environments. Look, um, it's really really important that we have an international framework. Uh, in mm -hmm. order to uh, build consensus around the world. So when we look at international standards or uh, norms that have been put in place, that makes the life easier for everybody. Uh, when you think about international travel, international trade, the more that we can have um, similar rules and, and etiquette, um, the better things will be and, and the cheaper our goods will be, quite frankly, because any difference really has a huge impact on things. But I think there's a recognition that well, I know there's a recognition that, um, hey, there's differences in geographies, different cultural differences, um, uh, historical differences that we need to respect. Uh, and so mm -hmm. that's why it's important that we have people like myself in the National Technology Office role for Canada that are advocates for the Canadian context or advocates for the provincial context, because yeah. we recognize that in our Westminster government and uh, uh, in the mosaic that is in Canada, we, we have this different uh, levels of government and different requirements. And so being able to reflect those back to headquarters and, and be an advocate for tools that support this, this variety of uh, approaches, uh, I think is, uh, is very, very useful. Yeah.
Yeah, I completely agree. And it's, uh, I think I've, I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, you know, with the sort of, again, internet of things and how things are, you know, it, it really is becoming almost like a, a global society, right? Uh, now that everything is so interconnected and that communication is just imperative from, uh, you know, from the bottom all the way up to the top with, uh, you know, governments uh, uh, collaborating together to establish these policies to, you know, really... Uh, protect uh, protect the public right it's something that going forward uh is i completely agree is something that is uh it's it's extreme it's extremely important it's necessary right um because everything is is changing day to day and uh absolutely no limits yeah you know, uh, it, and it really speaks to, I think, uh, you know, the Friedman's, uh, you know, the world is flat. And certainly what we see is um, the uh, great ability to uh, embrace and bring in other communities. And when I think about, you know, um, some of the uh, other people around the world and being able to then be their best selves and empower them to be part of um, the broader uh, community, the global community, uh, and be able to contribute to that, I think is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I do mash that up always. And those people that have listened to me in the past know of my uh, following of Richard Florida, uh, strong Canadian from uh, University of Toronto around the spikiness of regions though. Uh, and I look at the ability to live in places that we love. Uh, and mm -hmm. work with other creative people. And so when I look to um, those creative uh, communities in Canada from, you know, uh, we often hear about Vancouver, Toronto, and uh, Montreal, but I would point to Fredericton and uh, Halifax and St. John's and Nunavut, uh, all those regions, there's spikiness of those regions, which allows mm -hmm. us to live in the places that we love and, and have the communities that we, we embrace, but project our know-how around the world. And these tools allow us to do just that. I see. And so uh, when it comes to the actual public, you know, I, I'm sure advocacy is is a very big part of it. And how uh, how do we sort of encourage the public to, to advocate for these sort of topics? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, some of these topics, uh, at times people feel they're not attainable from a, from a knowledge. If I were to talk about mm -hmm. computer security, uh, with, uh, somebody on the street, a lot of times it would, it might frighten them or intimidate them. Uh, yeah. and you know, we, we do owe it upon ourselves to help people understand that these aren't arcane topics, that these yeah. are things that uh, people can do in their day-to-day -day routine. Look, most of the security controls that uh, will give you um, a very strong, let's say, mobile device or uh, a personal device um, are straightforward. Keep it up to date, have a strong password, uh, and, you know, make sure that you're aware that people might trick you. You know, those three mm -hmm. things will stand you in good stead. Likewise, when we start talking about artificial intelligence, uh, many people, they jump to this idea of Westworld uh, or um, Will Smith being chased through a Los Angeles by a, a <laughs> robot or something like that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned some of the more mundane uses of AI, so autocomplete, uh, or if we mm -hmm. think about a wayfinding application, um, or even uh, the auto translation, like these, these things are finding their way into our day-to-day -day routine that can make us more efficient. Uh, and so, you know, even the carpenter, the plumber, um, the, the hairdresser, um, everybody can benefit from the use of these tools. So let's demystify them. Uh, and mm -hmm. help people understand that, look, the fact that uh, your phone could autocomplete is not going to take you out of your job. It's it's helping you be uh, more efficient uh, and get more done. And so, you know, let's let's properly position these tools. At the same time, however, I'm not suggesting that we shy away from the difficult conversations. 
Yeah. We've seen uh, facial recognition be a subject of a lot of debate in the marketplace. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, quite frankly, facial recognition is not at a point today where it works equally with people of different skin tones. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, let's let's be out front about that to say, look, for for male Caucasians, uh, it's fairly good. Uh, but yeah. as soon as you move from that cohort, um, the accuracy drops significantly. Uh, and so we should be very thoughtful and mindful about that if we were to look at uh, using facial recognition in public settings, for example. Uh, and mm -hmm. we've been outspoken around putting in regulation to um, really guide the implementation of those tools or even prohibit it in certain cases. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, right, it, it's not like autocomplete will take away my job. Right. But it's Correct. still it still is something that does scare people. And there is a lot of skepticism, even though there are there are so many applications and just, you know, uh, kind of the, the quality of life when it comes to using our, our gadgets and services and everything has improved exponentially over the past decade even. Um, and it's but yet there still is a lot of skepticism, of, you know, uh, in the next decade, it, you know, is everything going to become automated? You know, my computer is starting to take over my life. Now I have to do uh, a fraction of the tasks, you know, manually that I would have had to do a few years ago. Now my computer does it all for me. So uh, it's it's definitely um, a big barrier to overcome. And uh, and I know that there are a lot of ambassadors out there, such as yourself, that that continue to work on this and continue to make sure that uh, these services are equitable and, um, and, you know, are robust and are resistant to, uh, you know, cyber attacks or people infiltrating our, our data sets, right. And, and stealing people's information, which is, you know, quite valuable and can be leveraged against them. And so uh, I was also wondering what you thought of, you know, bigger organizations or I guess more prominent or controversial ones like anonymous, for example, um, like that's a big one because you know their advocacy for for privacy that's sort of at the the forefront of what they're doing but the way they go about it is sort of uh, I guess uh, uh, you see I guess maybe it's like a big a big joke a big practical joke and it's uh, it, it could still be dangerous but they do I think have uh, a message to put out. Yeah, it's uh, it gets us into this this realm of how do you best um, engage the broader population. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so certainly um, when it comes to malicious activities uh, or finding bugs, let's 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 take it away of the malicious. Let's destigmatize that and say, look, yeah. there's security researchers out there that find mm -hmm. vulnerabilities in software. Uh, and so um, I would and our company would encourage them to do responsible disclosure. Right. So yeah. to let us know so that we can protect uh, protect the communities. So that's, mm -hmm. I think, first and foremost, um, there is a need for visibility and advocacy uh, on the marketplace and to be able to influence change. Um, sometimes um, influencing change requires uh, a little bit of provo provocation or be provocative. Uh, and we've mm -hmm. seen that in the past with other advocacy groups around, maybe it's uh, around wildlife, maybe it's around environment and, you know, be doing stunts, so to speak, to get a voice. Uh, and yeah. then slowly but surely those stunts uh, are blunted and th these things become mainstream. The yeah. challenge we have with uh, these malicious activities is no one's quite certain where the malicious activities are constrained. Uh, and so if you have a group, let's say like anonymous or even advanced persistent threats that are out there, uh, other advanced mm -hmm. persistence threats, that tool that is used to uh, for one particular cause then becomes public knowledge for other particular causes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so 
where there might be simple web defacement in one instance that might be weaponized into a ransomware later on, uh, which would put mm-hmm. lives at harm. Yeah. When we look at uh, the current COVID crisis, you know, it's been really, really alarming that um, the ma- malicious users have taken advantage of this and they've held um, uh, hospitals for ransom with their personal data. And we've oh, seen wow. that in uh, whole provincial data sets uh, here in Canada on more than one occasion. And we've seen mm-hmm. individual hospitals be impacted. So this stuff uh, impacts human life. Uh, and so, you know, this is not something to be trifled with. And, and while, you know, there's uh, the sense that, look, you're, you're getting this particular message acro- across and they might be, quotes, unquote, punishing individuals, uh, individual organizations to influence change. Uh, quite frankly, there's lives at stake. Uh, and yeah. so there should be a, um, a focus on finding different approaches to be able yeah. to get your message out there. Yeah, because, uh, you know, ultimately we, we do want to reduce skepticism. Um, and, you know, we, we do want to increase trust. Of course, people should think critically about which services they, uh, they feel comfortable using. And I know this is, it's not a change that happens overnight to have someone completely trust something that is run solely on AI. It's a very sort of new thing that we're developing day by day. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, we, we can't put people at risk just to prove a point, right? Um, it's it's an unfortunate uh, reality that it does happen, though. 100%. And, and, you know, I think for the development community that's putting these tools out, you know, let's make sure that everybody appreciates the fact that what might seem like a, a benign um, a benign use uh, could mm-hmm. have unintended consequences. One of the things that I always think about, and, and I can see the thermostat across the room for me here, uh, is the smart thermostats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, um, it's a benign use. You think, okay, fine. You know, I will just keep the furnace on and off and in temperate climates. And let's, let's suggest that maybe the engineer who built this uh, didn't live in Canada. Uh, and mm-hmm. on a day like today, when uh, it's minus 21 with the wind chill, you know, uh, you know what happens when that thermostat uh, gets, gets uh, taken offline? Uh, and the house mm-hmm. becomes very cold. Well, mm-hmm. uh, not only do you have physical implications uh, for the building, but you also have uh, individual implications. And so, you know, we do need to think about uh, the intended use and put in place those safeguards so that we are there up front before malicious actors could uh, do them harm. Oh, I see. Well, um, the, I think that was a, a very comprehensive sort of uh, outlook on, you know, what it means what what does data privacy mean? Uh, computer privacy, uh, cybersecurity, and of course how AI ties into all of that. Because of course, like, like you said, maybe infiltrating is a bit <laughs> malicious of a word to use, but it, it's it's definitely becoming uh, ingrained in in the technologies that we use, and it's important to uh, sort of. Uh, address the skepticism that people have and try and improve it and advocate for uh, for these services going forward. And, uh, you know, once we do, I feel like, you know, improve uh, public trust. And, and at the same time, it's not just improving public trust, it's making sure that we have policies in place, we're collaborating sufficiently to, uh, you know, get that change moving forward on, on a, a provincial, a national or a global scale. Like all of these were just really fantastic topics that you that you brought up 
Well, I, I great. Uh, you know, it, it's it's something. Hopefully, my my passion comes through in the podcast. Uh, yeah. It's something that to me that uh, uh, I get up excited for every day that I wake up in the morning and uh, to try to tackle some of these tough challenges uh, and to mm. help people appreciate the fact that you know, hey, they these tools can really really help us. We just need to yeah. make sure they're put in place in a in a correct way. Absolutely. So, if you'd like to just take thirty seconds or a minute or so and maybe give us some words of wisdom, advice for maybe some younger listeners out there uh, who are sort of trying to get into this field or you know, interested in, in AI and policy and security. So you, you have the floor, do, do with oh, it. Like 100%. Uh, it's, it's quite a challenge though, uh, as well to, to talk about, uh, you know, the broad community that uh, is listening here. You know, mm -hmm. I think the first thing is to, to jump in jump in and find out a space for you. And, you know, sometimes I know that it's daunting if you're not technically oriented to say, mm -hmm. hey, I, I, I'm not somebody that knows how to do, uh, 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 knows Perl or uh, uh, JavaScript. And so I, I feel intimidated by that. You know, mm -hmm. that's the great thing about uh, our schools, our universities, is that I look at them as an agora of ideas. Uh, and mm -hmm. so meeting together with a strong technical person or a strong business person or a strong policy person, and then just get into those fast neuron conversations, there's room for all these uh, different uh, perspectives as we yeah. build what's next. Uh, and certainly my experience has been when we get to diverse opinions uh, into a room to solve a tough challenge, this, the result is so much better because mm -hmm. we take these different perspectives and aspects. And I've seen that ourselves as we review sensitive use cases of AI within Microsoft. I lead our responsible AI team by bringing in different representatives from different communities. Boy, do I ever hear you know, how this could impact different communities that I would never have thought of before. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I encourage building uh, and coming together with the community, like the uh, McMaster AI Society, for example, where you bring yeah. in these uh, diverse uh, diverse mindsets uh, to build what's next. And, and you have a hackathon coming up, you know, come on over to the hackathon and then meet with uh, individuals because your voice is going to be important to build yeah. what's next for Canada. Well, I... I could not have put it better myself. I know I, I, I just love uh, discussing the topic of collaboration within AI. You know, people coming in from all sorts of backgrounds and the perspectives are just, it's necessary moving forward to, to have this comprehensive outlook of how we can apply AI, which is such a valuable tool. Um, 100%. Yeah. So, so thank you once again for joining me today. I had a wonderful discussion. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we hope to see you uh, again on the podcast in the future, hopefully. Absolutely. This was a ton of fun. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it's, uh, provided some things to think about as, uh, as people go forward. And I look forward to the next time to have uh, a chat with you and uh, your listeners. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Mac AI podcast. Normally I like to end off with a more hypothetical thought provoking question, but considering the topic of today's podcast, I'd like to encourage our listeners to reflect on a bit more of a personal level. Think about how you've personally seen the impact of AI on the way you live, or perhaps think about how it's shaped the services you use. What do you appreciate about it, and which applications of AI do you or those close to you feel more uncomfortable with? Finally, how do you feel about AI advocacy, and how do you think you can start or continue to advocate for the usage of AI and machine learning in our everyday lives? I hope that leaves you with a little something to think about. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.
you liked listening to this episode, then please be sure to rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. To subscribe to our newsletter and get monthly updates on our upcoming events and initiatives, please visit our website at mcmasterai.com. You can also get this information by following us on Facebook at McMasterAI or on Instagram at MacAISociety. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can become a sponsor by contacting us on social media or by email at MacAI at McMaster.ca. Sponsorship comes with amazing benefits like advertising on our website and on the shows themselves, the opportunity to join us as a guest, and participation in our networking events, and more. The MacAI Society expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.